Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology, and I'm Renee Sills. In this special guest episode, I'm talking with Sarah Faith Godestiner. Sarah is an artist, psychic, tarot reader, teacher, and author of the moon book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life. In our conversation, I talk with Sarah about her work with the moon and how she's developed her intuition and lunar consciousness. We weave in astrology and tarot and talk about how we work to discern, refine, and practice critical self-awareness as intuitives. The conversation I'm about to share with you was recorded in August of 2020, but due to some unforeseen circumstances, the editing of this episode wasn't completed until now, March 12, 2021. I find it often happens with magical projects and magical people that timing is serendipitous, and this timing has turned out to be perfect. I've been listening back to this episode and editing it over the last two days, which have been dark moon days. And as you'll hear, Sarah Faith is a child of the dark moon. Tomorrow, March 13th, will be a new moon in Pisces. For those of you familiar with the language of the zodiac, Pisces is an energy that describes our deep intuitive sensitivities and psychic capacities. Tomorrow's new moon is a very special one also because Venus and Neptune will be conjunct in Pisces and very close to the new moon degree. While there are many possible interpretations for all of that, the one I'd like to use and infuse into this episode's release into the world is this. In the moments of the lunar cycle that are the dark moon and the new moon, we are asked to surrender reliance upon our dominant senses attune with our intuition, and open ourselves to what is as of yet unknown. When Venus and Neptune come together, the symbol of earthly, human, material love, which is Venus, combines with the symbol of spiritual, transcendent, collective love, Neptune. Wherever you're listening from, in space, time, or lunar cycle, I hope that as you listen, you receive support and affirmation for your own intuition, that you remember and can find guidance in your relationship to the moon, and that in whatever ways are relevant for you, the potency and magic of this new moon, with the messages of love that can be found in its symbolism, saturate you. May you be filled entirely with the love that you are. My friends, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. When you're a witch, lunar work is pretty forefront if you, at least in the tradition i was taught which is like western european i'm putting this in quotes pagan or neo-pagan witchcraft which i don't identify with but that's how i how i was taught so that's pretty that's was pretty forefront however through the years i developed my own relationship my own style and my own way of working with the moon that fused that that um incorporates the moon in a holistic fashion uh, i think lunar work is very holistic and it's about working with the lunation in its entirety connected maybe working with several lunations or maybe working with an entire season around something you're interested in healing or something you're interested in bringing forth. And once I started doing lunar work in a way that took into account 
the specific energies of each phase of the moon and the specific energies of each season, uh, I really saw amazing results, like amazing results. A lot of folks in like mainstream witchery or spirituality or even astrology probably never talk about where or I have never come across people speaking about the need to follow through on an entire lunar cycle to look at the 360 degree nature of the issue you're working with or the desire you're working with in order to get sustainable results. It's not about like lighting a candle on the new moon and like taking a bath on the full moon. It's about a through line of engagement and relationship. And that's what my work is trying to help folks with um, and trying to encourage. It's a sustained relationship that in turn, not only offers up in quotes, like the thing you want or the thing you're going after, because it will, if you work, if you work with it and you make that devotional commitment. And also it helps one, create sustainable, like a sustainable platform because you've interrogated the shadow, you've worked with your energy as it ebbs and flows. It also enhances your intuition. So that's, I know that sounds maybe that's very wandering, but that's, that's how I came to work with the moon. Um, and now I work with the moon magically. I work with the moon practically. I work with the moon uh, in a healing nature. I work with the moon in a psychic nature. Um, I work with the moon energetically. So those are all of the ways I've ended up working with lunar energy. Mm, I'd love to, to hear more about how your development of lunar consciousness and the cycles of the moon has worked in tandem with your intuitive development or your psychic consciousness. I think it's really part and parcel because, you know, the moon is this reflection, right? It's this reflection of light and our intuition often um, needs to be reflected back to us because we haven't we haven't stepped we haven't stepped out past like the threshold of logic or proof or those kinds of things like as a society right like we know that there's magic we know that our imaginations are magical we know that there's power in the intangible and in the felt senses. Uh, in that which we can't explain or maybe even not control. And so that has, working with the moon has really helped me, number one, to accept it. I think it's, um, I think it's really weird both accepting your intuitive or maybe even saying you're psychic uh, in a world that definitely wants proof right? Even within the psychic world, folks want you to be able to say, well, you have three children and they're named John and Rick and James. And, you know, they want that sort of like bells and whistles, sort of pony parade kind of psychic. Um, so, so it's helped me acknowledge that one, like my intuition exists. Everyone's intuition exists. Everyone is intuitive. It's helped me step outside caveats or ways of it showing up because my intuition 
is ever changeable and it moves around and, and it shows up in different ways and I have to pay attention. Uh, so the moon also reflects or can reflect the different ways our intuition shows up for us because there's a whole variety of different ways internally, externally, relationally, sensory, emotionally that our intuition shows up for us and the moon working closely with lunar consciousness also to me is like an accepting and receiving energy and an allowing energy um, and that to me also resonates with my own experience personally of my own intuition. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it bit, what's it like for you? I haven't worked so specifically with the moon in the way that you're describing. I think that working with astrology is always working with, with circular, you know, cyclical time. And, um, um, I feel really curious about the ways that I think, well, I, I'll be interested to hear, you know, your take on this. So obviously there's a language that I've learned that is, a, that is Western astrology. And that language has astronomy as part of it and mythology as part of it and all kinds of different, you know, new age spiritualities and cosmologies and um, different people's takes on things. And the way that I feel it working for me is as an associative practice. So everything that I've learned is kind of stored somewhere in my consciousness. And then at various times, um, you know, depending on the moment and what's coming up, who I might be working with or what I'm working with in myself, I'll associate to different things. But then I also have my own intuition that has been becoming stronger and stronger as I work with and through all of my associations. So that I think is a, is a kind of constant dance for me, like this dance of, of absorbing knowledge that's, um, you know, already there, that's been articulated by other people and passed down and feeling it out in myself and then kind of feeling into my body and the way that I somatize or internalize um, the, the symbolism and yeah, whatever is coming through in my own intuition, like whatever that energy is of um, the the planetary force or the aspect pattern or something like that. I think a lot about unlearning everything I've learned, you know, because I, I think about like, well, for me, spirituality, religion, astrology, witchcraft, whatever we are working with as a way to inform, enhance, guide our existence on the planet, which is sort of what all of these have been created by humans, right? Like religion, astrology, astronomy, witchcraft, all created by humans, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, they all exist. I'm not saying that they don't exist and I'm not saying that they're not some translation of a greater force. Mm -hmm. I just want to be really clear about that because I think there's, Oftentimes when I start unpacking or introducing a criticality to this stuff, people get very angry mm -hmm. and they get very, very activated uh, when you are talking about where belief systems form. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really always trying to question, is it chicken or the egg? 
we know that since civilization began, that humans have created story and humans have created belief systems to, of course, explain our existence and to work in a harmonious and respectful manner with nature and the seasons and and, and in a revelatory sacred way. And also they've utilized them for control, for power, for their belief systems. And so for me, I'm always trying to think about, well, who, where is this coming from? You know, like in, in astrology, for instance, a lot of astrology that's come from the Roman empire, for example, I'm not necessarily, I'm not really interested in integrating into my own um, reflections of, of that system. I'm interested in myths or folklore or traditions that speak to me and my experience. And a lot of, even within spirituality, even within a subculture like witchcraft, there's so much heteronormativity, racism, uh, voice of like the colonizer, like there's so much of that. And I think we have to be really critical. Where did we hear this? Why? What use? Like I, I went down this rabbit hole in research for my book and realizing that so many kings and empires worked with astrologers mm-hmm. to make decisions, to tell their folks things, to, you know, they literally like used the sun and the moon to invoke fear into the hearts of their subjects, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, then where's that coming from? Like, do I, I don't really want to take on an astrologer's viewpoint that was getting paid by a by um an emperor to devastate thousands of people i don't know that's not really how i want to look at the moon that i don't really like so much of the moon as being like malefic is associated with femininity is associated with eclipses is associated with the darkness like it's it's not necessarily correlations that aid, heal, support, or evolve my understanding of being a conscious person on this earth with other conscious people. So like the moon has also really helped me in deep exploration with lunar energy has really helped me step outside of the binary uh, of right or wrong or good and bad and, 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 um, you know, I don't believe in the binary. I believe there's polarities and I believe there's dualisms, but I believe they exist in a part in a larger circle or spiral or system that is holographic. So I'm sort of rambling, but that's that's been really enlightening for me personally through doing this work. And also it's been disorienting because when you're questioning everything you've absorbed. Um, it can be a bit of floating in the void mm-hmm. a lot. And mm-hmm. that can feel like, whoa, we want ground. Mm-hmm. And also I think it's really, I think like the big picture of 
strengthening and empowering our intuition is knowing what works for us and knowing what we think, not what a book told you, not what me, I told you, but what you think, what you feel, what you know. And that can only be found through a longer process, an interior process, a patient process, a relational process, an energetic process, an ancestral process, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So in your work with the moon, it sounds like you've had various teach- teachings, teachers, paths that you might have explored in your research. Um, but then you've undertaken this uh, long, ongoing lifestyle project of working with the moon. Can you talk a little bit about how you've done this unlearning or any pieces of learning that you've kept and what's been really um, salient for you or, um, you know, in your development of, of your own lunar language, what certain phases mean or how you want to work with them? How has that knowledge come to you? It's come through teaching, being a student, praxis. Praxis is the biggest. And that's just, you know, thinking about an idea and then watching it play out in your life, trying a bunch of different things. Also, I have for the past three years, I've taught hundreds of people um, in a class called Moonbeaming. Um, I've written six guidebooks, channeled workbooks, two planners, and I have a book coming out. So I've had, I had about, let's just say, I had about three or four years of being in an open relationship with the moon. I like came in and out. She was there. I sort of worked with her a little bit in my magical practice. Then I had about eight years of like, monogamy I'm ready also to be in an open relationship like I as I release this book I'm ready to like explore roses or (laughs) or, like I'm I've we've had our time and I am grateful to have learned what I've learned and also I'm ready to sort of give our relationship more space Mm -hmm. as one can do I, I would love to hear about your relationship with like astrology and that because I feel like when you're really monogamous or mm-hmm. really in a engaged relationship, it can get, um, it can get intense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So praxis, research, reading, unlearning and listening. Like this sounds very nebulous and basic, but if you want to have any kind of relationship with anyone or anything or a deity you have to hang out with them and just be with them and see what's coming up and see if they want to tell you something or see how they want to speak to you um so a lot of just time hanging out and and spending time with which sounds so um like not expertise, you know, uh, not, but, but it, it, but it is. And, and, and then also the other thing that I teach within my courses and, and what I really hope for folks to get from the upcoming book and all my work is we all have our own phases that may or may not sync up to the moon 
our energy and the lunar phase might not match. Like, so for example, traditionally a waxing moon, as you know, is like the accumulation of energy. It's more externalized energy. It's good for any kind of external growth, uh, anything around health, or it's like Jupiterian energy. It's like it's building, it's expanding. So what you sort of pace yourself with what you kind of correlate yourself with at that time is thought to expand. Um, well, some folks feel very drained during this time. Some folks feel overwhelmed or inflamed or, you know, like it's not the time of the moon that they are going to release something into the world or, you know, work on being out there more for them maybe traditionally the waning moon is where which traditionally the waning moon again as you know is is uh, a time for turning inward a time for more rest it's a time for weeding and clearing um, it's a time for shadow work subconscious work maybe for that same person they find themselves more energetic during that time, getting more downloads. That also coincides with the waning moon as being a time to really touch base with your intuition, really, really un understand what's coming through for you and for you alone. So it's, it's about using the moon also as a framework for your energy, for your own patterns, and then working with that energy, not against it, like if you're not feeling like if you're fried and it's a full moon, don't do a full moon spell. Wait a couple days. Like, you know, it's, it's also this allowing energy, you know, it's both like, I feel like the moon and you can speak about this, I think from an astrological viewpoint, the moon is a very personal uh, companion, you know, it's, it's, it's intimate. It's, it's what's working for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, I also like to encourage folks to experiment, to play around, to, to see historically when you feel best around what phase. And then of course you can speak to this also astrologically. I talk about this in my book and in my classes, also thinking about what phase the moon was in when you were born can really, really situate your destiny or where you sort of feel best or what you might excel at or what might feel like home to you. And then you can also sync that up, not just within your life and your life path, but within the lunar cycle, each lunation. I'm curious, what time of the lunar cycle were you born under? Um, well, you want to know what's funny is that today's lunar cycle is actually a, a mirror of my own chart. So I'm a Leo sun person, Taurus moon, and I was born at the, uh, the waning square, the fourth quarter square, which is today. So I'm feeling good today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel fairly in my element on, on this morning. Um, what time of the moon were you born? I'm a dark moon baby. Okay. Right, um, right in the new moon or before? Dark. No, I'm um, three days before a new before. moon, like right in that dark moon. Mm. And much to my, much to my chagrin, like, you know. What, how do you find um, being a native of the dark moon is? Uh, it can be rough. It can be lonely. 
uh, it can feel a lot. <laughs> it can feel a lot. Um, yeah, I was actually really, it gave me solace in a lot of my research for the book and things like that. Like one of a couple of my, um, a couple of the astrologers whose work has resonated both with me, uh, that's Demetra George and Dane Rudiar. Mm. They're both dark moon babies. Oh, you know? okay. So when I found that out, at least I sort of felt like, oh, I mean, there's sort you can feel kind of alone. You can feel like you're constantly reinventing yourself. And because of that, folks don't always, um, you're, you're my, one of a pain point or a healing experience of, of being a dark moon child is you're constantly having to reckon with your past while constantly sort of shedding it because we're, we relate to one another based on the past or our past experiences or our past behaviors. And so I'm always challenging myself to like come to each relationship in the present mm -hmm. without assuming, mm -hmm. right? You know, and I think for me, that's been, it's been really useful to have a very, I've, a, I've been with my partner for almost a decade and it's just been useful to have that as a practice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering what your challenges are being a, being a last quarter babe. Mm. Hmm. Well, so again, I haven't worked with the lunar cycle in the way that you have. Um, and I am super curious about what you've noticed in other last quarter people. Um, for myself, I definitely feel the tension of the square um, and the, the tension between what I would identify as like a Leo sun energy. You know, I really just want to be doing what I want to be doing in the moment that I want to be doing it. I'm a natural optimist. I like want to get along with people and have a good time and enjoy myself. And um, I'm not one really for like responsibilities or rules. And then I've got this Taurus moon that like deeply, deeply wants stability, wants regularity. It's in my 10th house. Like I um, have been very driven by uh, a sense of like purpose and wanting to work on something and build something and manifest something. And to be, you know, practical and to build an earthly life for myself. And so the tension between those two has definitely been a struggle for me in my life. But also the square aspect is quite dynamic and very creative. And so I've spent my life kind of trying to figure out how to build work and build a career that allows me to play and to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, and in terms of, the, of kind of what I understand of the symbolism of the fourth quarter, um, I do feel very compelled and drawn to doing work that is about disseminating and sharing and spreading, but also um, like challenging old ways of being and kind of trying to shift, you know, shift formal structures and uh, make new discoveries, you know, and, and things like that. That's, I, I feel like that's 100%. It's this reformer energy of like, you take what's traditional or you take what, like there's the saying in a lot of uh, groups, like take what you like and leave the rest. So you yeah. take that 
as a platform of understanding and then you're either adding your own research your own experiences to it or you are kind of breaking it open so it becomes this sort of flower i think uh, i think about when the plant has gone to seed like it's bolting it's like this this you are you are standing on some kind of solidity while also looking to the new moon because mm-hmm. you're, you're like in the lunar phase, it's about one week away. It's, I call the fourth quarter, I call the first quarter and the fourth quarter, like nature's alarm clock being like, Hey, you're going to feel tense. You can turn this corner, but so you're feeling, you're always feeling that tension. Yeah. I feel like you might have tension around. Am I doing too much? How will I know when this is enough? Like, you're always sort of feeling this page turning like I, but I, I'm re- I, but, and also you need that patience to build the structure. So that I feel like is probably where the tension comes in where you're like, you're like, but I want to do this. You're like, but I have to stay with this for a minute. Your brain, your vision is already, you're probably already in like 2022, but now you're sort of like, I've got to stick with this. I've got to build these structures. Like I've got to stay committed. So I could totally see that tension coming coming up for you, like in a lunar way, where I feel like my impulse is always um, to burn everything down. Like uh-huh. it's like you know, the dark moon is just like destroy, like denounce, like just get like you know. I'm I'm constantly faced with I just want to burn everything down. I want to go to the woods in a cabin with no Wi-Fi. Like I'm re- like I'm constantly wanting to um start over and i'm constantly having to uh have that same sort of patience with myself because we do have to look to the past or we do have to uh i think like one of the messages of the dark moon i mean i could be here all all year to talk about the dark moon but another lesson of the dark moon i think is to really sit with the self and metabolize the lessons and the wisdom like and and really utilize that wisdom um through another like iteration the wisdom state the iterations can evolve and change and grow but the wisdom and the lessons um you know kind of stay yeah thank you for that i feel like what you reflected to me about the that the fourth quarter um, feels really accurate. And when I was walking this morning, I was literally like 12 years in the future and being like, okay, like I know that the thing that I'm doing now is going to lead there. And I just have to trust it. I have to stay the course um, because I have lived my entire life with an incredible sense of tension and, um, you know, feeling that I need to do all the things right now in order to get to that that point that I'm like seeing and feeling and knowing is coming. Um, I'm curious about how your work with the moon and your work with tarot come together. And um, yeah, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Tarot was definitely my first love in that I uh, encountered it before and worked with it before. I think that tarot has really so both the moon i mean astrology the moon tarot all deal with cycles of evolution 
right? Uh, so tarot is nonlinear, astrology is nonlinear, lunar work is nonlinear. It's a spiral, it's a cycle, um, it's ongoing. Tarot, working with tarot has really informed my lunar practice because tarot is this really interesting tradition of storytelling and framing and contextualizing and it's also a um, realm of evolution like tarot is a living breathing organism that is informed by new practitioners by new theories i always tell my students as i teach uh i I'm, i see clients and also i teach about the tarot and i'm and i'm saying like probably similar to astrology similar to anything tarot is sort of stagnant if you're not bringing other studies if you're not bringing other stories if you're not bringing other interpretations to the table. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a dialogue. When you're giving a tarot reading, it's a dialogue. It's this gorgeous stepping outside of the binary because it's you, the tarot reader. There is your client, very similar to, I'm sure, an astrology session, your client. Then there's the cards. Then there's like the interpretation that, you know, so it's, we're creating... Uh, a context we're creating possibility we're creating magic we're creating synchronicity it's a no time time meaning in a lot of spreads with tarot there's the present the past the future the opportunity so we're like in this really beautiful cauldron of possibility and of uh unpacking and processing and positing and and potentialing you know which i find incredibly um, affirming and you probably feel this way with your clients Renee like it's so gorgeous to see folks who are being vulnerable who are doing the work who are interested in evolution who are interested in healing who are interested in believing uh, and becoming their best selves or acting in a way of service for the collective and it's just really a gorgeous I feel very honored and and lucky. It's a gorgeous experience. So both of them have to do with cycles. Both of them have to do, you know, the moon is reflecting a certain kind of energy or situating ourselves in a literal season or a season of our lives or a season of becoming. And the tarot is this visual reflection of an aspect of self or something that happened in the past that informed us or a shadow or a possibility that we've really been trying for or it's another way to um check or test our intuition which also the moon can be as well it's another tool because i can say something to you and if it doesn't resonate that's a beautiful opening then for you to check okay, well, but what is really coming up for me? Or what do I see in this card? I'm always asking my clients, like, what does this mean to you? Or what do you think about this? You know, and it's always really um, affirming and interesting when the aspect of um, like the ways of seeing or the interpretation of the image or the energy of the card facilitates 
um, an opening or a blooming of my client's intuition or awakening. Hmm. I'm not um, super familiar with tarot. I've used it a little bit, kind of just dabbled. Um, but I uh, somewhat understand that the I, maybe more of a traditional deck has uh, a story, like an arc that, that moves through it. What's your interpretation of the story of the tarot and its meaning? It's a quest towards uh, becoming whole, whatever that means, uh, becoming as healed or as self-actualized as one can become um, through our own like unique journey. You know, that's, that looks very different for me than it does for you. Um, the tarot takes into account, um, similar to the zodiacal wheel, you know, there's, and witchcraft, there's the four elements and then there's source and then there's spirit, you know, and then there's self enacting mm -hmm. with those, those different four elements in the minors. Um, and then in the majors, are a story of becoming. It's a story of um, awakening, of birth, of, of death, of going inside, of healing, of shadow work, um, of, and then of like rebirthing the self. Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of um, a synonym for, you know, Western psychology would call it ego death. Um, actualization, individuation, becoming as much of you as you can in order to become as part as much a part of the collective as you can. If mm. that make, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And um, I was listening to you talk and thinking about the story of the lunar cycle as well. And kind of this, this birth into becoming and then this unbecoming into the becoming of everything. And, um, so I'm curious. So you talk a lot about um, uh, this need to unlearn, you know, and, and to push back against um, patriarchy and white supremacy and um, the isms or this kind of empiricism that has held certain traditions in certain forms. And I think tarot certainly uh, can be included in that, knowing that a lot of the decks are, you know, pretty binary in terms of how they're going to describe gender and, you, you know, experience and who's writing them and, and whatnot. Um, so would you talk a little bit more about in your practice as a tarot reader, and um, even though you don't call yourself an astrologer, you're working with the moon. And so you are working with the celestial uh, energies. Um, but so how do you work with yourself to unsettle or to decolonize in these practices? Yeah. I mean, do we have all day? Yes. Uh, you know, this, this is, this is an ongoing, um, this isn't, this, this is a process that's literally never, never going to end. A, a couple of things bubble up for me uh, immediately when you, as you were speaking. And the, I'll, I'll just speak to my experience first as a tarot reader and client work, because that's been a real source of unlearning, um, especially with tarot, where if you come up, you know, I. I am 40 
there were not tarot readers on Instagram when I was learning this. There were not, you know, I didn't know you could do this. I, and a lot of what I first in the 90s was a very white, very um, ableist, very heteronormative, very binaristic. I could be held it, right? We know, we know what it was. And how that then influences, in quotes, a new age, uh, like a new age materialism, or this idea that we should all want the same things, right? We should all want to um, I mean, I would argue that we all want the same things, which is to be loved, to feel safe, to have food, to have water, to have a roof, to have at least a few people who see us in a way that feels accurate, to have some way of expressing our unique gifts and our unique talents and our unique soul. I would argue that those are maybe some basics of human existence, right? And also, there's a lot of strange and damaging, uh, you know, should, shoulds in, in a spiritual practice. Like, you should want to make a lot of money, or you should want to get married, or you should want to own a home, or it, like all, just all of these things. Like, why, you know? Um, and so when I, or even like, you should have one gender or like all of those kinds of things. Um, you should have one partner. That's what we're all looking for. That's not true. That's, that's, that's not, that's just not true. Right. Because it's not true for so many. Right. Mm -hmm. And so many experiences. So I think in being a reader, you know, what I have to do immediately when I sit down with a client is understand that I'm not assuming anything about what they want or what they in quote should want. And like, that's been a real process for me because even in the language that I use, I have had to really check myself in the sense that um, a lot of times I get messages from guides and I get messages from spirits, whether my clients or my own, I don't, particularly no. And a lot of language I'll find myself using is like, well, your guides would like you to. And even that is like, whoa, whoa, I, I'm constantly in, in reading saying, hold on, wait, actually, I meant it might be something for you if you want to look into it or if it resonates for you, these kinds of things, because I don't know what's best for my client. My client knows what's best for them ultimately, right? And there's there has to be that trust. And because of that tr trust, then I can take away my assumption of what they want or what they need. The cards will tell me things and I'll suggest things to them and I'll check in with them. But assuming that my client, you know, is at a particular stage or assuming that my client wants a specific thing um, that maybe like the patriarchy has told us that's, that's not going to be helpful and that's not healing. So that's, that's one part, you know, within myself, it's a bit more of a yarn ball, right? Like it's a bit more of like, okay, who's thinking this, who's saying this, you know, where am I getting this information? Uh, who told me this, like, you know, so on and so forth. 
um, which ends up, you know, becoming a little bit dark moon existential, like what, wh what's all going on here? Um, but I think that's like a good place. I think like a good place to start is not assuming, you know, and then not assuming you know what's best for other people um, and taking away this finish line. Sort of like you're healed or there's one way to do something. Like I think viewing things through a non-hierarchical lens you know, because like, I don't know about you, Renee, but I've, I'm just coming out of a period where I was given the opportunity to do some things and what society told me or what I had internalized about them is that they were a dream come true and they ended up being my worst nightmare. Hmm. So, you know, like that is it, that's an example of having an expectation around in quotes, an opportunity or a collaboration or like something that I have been told that that's like what I wanted or needed. And then having the reality actually be terrible. And I'm so glad certain contracts are over and I'm so glad that certain things are over because it was like deeply damaging to me. Mm. So I, and I think about that too, when like folks get the thing and then they're like, wait a minute, this isn't actually what is best for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so I just think about, I think about all sorts of things like that in my own life and how that informs my practice and how that informs my client work. I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. On which part of it? And, and what are some of the frameworks or some of the practices you do to, um, you know, to unpack this colonial or supremacist or punitive uh, way of being like within your own practice or maybe within your own spirituality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonate with um, what you were sharing about interrogating my own language and assumptions about needing to know. And um, as a person who is, you know, often opinionated, <laughs> and I can, I can be, you know, I don't know, it's my Leo Taurus, my fixed energy self or something, but, um, you know, I can be very confident in my opinions as well. <laughs> and um, at this point, I think, have had enough experiences of learning, you know, when my opinions are, you know, short-sighted and not including um, or seeing my own bias, my own positionality, and um, especially as a white person, you know, learning a lot about how much I don't know. And so I think um, for me, like really trying to bring that into my practice that, um, and, and it's interesting within a practice that has been built for built by advisors you know and and within a field that people are you know coming to me because they think i know something you know and, and they want to know something and so to be able to hold a lot of humility in that and to um like allow these practices like you're saying to be a space of of building connection and relationship and opening curiosity and really trying to um believe in the the intuitive um wisdom and genius of the people that i'm working with and 
do what I can to support that. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's interesting too, to work within a field, like you were saying, Western astrology has been, um, built upon these, um, a lot of mythology of, um, the, of the Greek and Roman empires and those myths, of course, many of them have been appropriated and, and, um, mutated from what was stolen. Um, and so to come into my own learning more and more with that understanding and, you know, to, I was just talking about this yesterday, um, with my partner, we were talking about how many kinds of astrologies there are and the desire I have to learn about other cosmologies and different ways of understanding but also, you know, as a as an ex yoga teacher, that at this point, I don't, I, I really don't want to take on another culture's understanding or cosmology and adopt it um, in an appropriative way. I feel allergic to that, and so I'm aware that I came up with Western astrology. It was a language my mom spoke. Um, I've been very formed by it. I've received a ton of benefit from it. I think it's a, um, in many ways has been such a healing space for me. And so I feel like, okay, now I need to come at these stories from a different perspective. So I need to come at them and look for what wasn't being told. So I'm curious a lot about the stories of the women that aren't told within a, a primarily masculine and patriarchal pantheon. Um, and I'm curious about the, um, the, the stories of how power comes to be and what is uplifted and elevated and what is um, kind of like, you know, downcast or shamed or something within these value systems. And I want to unpack that. Um, and then as like a somatics person and, and a body worker, um, I think ultimately where I feel the most comfortable and feel like um, it's the clearest to me how to do this work is to just keep coming back to the body and to really try and let this be a language of embodiment. And um, I know for me that the body is incredibly wise and that though there have been so many things put on our bodies for generations and things that we carry in our DNA and ancestry, there's always wisdom in the body. There's always intuition in the body. There's always knowing in the body. And so if, if, if somehow these stories can lead us into our own embodied experience, then wisdom is there. And these myths, you know, they, they can be helpful as associations or points of a story where we can get curious, where we can open something up, but they're not the destination at all. 100%. I feel like power as you said it's so not separate from like the history of spirituality we 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 see it in colonization generally the first thing that happens is uh people's spirituality and language and customs are are wiped taken or appropriated right like the church will say oh you can still have your saints you know uh -huh. like to to like people they've colonized, but, but we're going to be Catholic or, you know, I mean, even within Judaism, Judaism started astrology was one of the, you know, we're, we're, that's one of the wells that astrology sprang from 
um, Western astrology, that is, and even within Judaism. I mean, Judaism is a Jew, Jews are people of the moon. They follow the moon, like mm -hmm. like they are a lunar calendar. Uh, but even within Judaism, there's been a usurping of the mysticism, a usurping of the Shekinah, like of the feminine, like a lot of uh, conservative, you know, Jewish folks don't even say believe in Lilith. You know, there's there's all of that even going 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 on within it. And I think that one thing that's important for me as a white person is to really spend time interrogating how I benefit, uh, why, why these stories were, like you said, why were these stories told? Why are the, these themes and patterns? Who were they benefiting? What virtues or value systems are these benefiting? And leaning into an ancestral practice of my own that is more based in, say, folk, or like in folklores, or like you said, in the body, which is, which works for me in a couple of different ways. It's through like herbs and what I'm eating to connect. But then also it's this very, it's listening, like it's listening to my ancestors. Um, it's meditating with my ancestors. It's uh, communing with that energy, uh, feeling into where, the healing I'm doing in this lifetime like began because I think for a lot of us our our ancestors are incredibly strong and there's an incredible amount of trauma there like mm -hmm. on for for a variety of different reasons right um so I think like the the practice of both accepting or interrogating where some of that trauma might have come from and going past that into a rooted sense of knowledge has been really important um, for, for me as well in my own in my own personal, mm. in my own personal practice, you know. Mm. This question might actually be the answer you already just gave, but if you were going to describe um the form of the of the energy or the conduit uh through which you connect to your divining practices whether it's working with the moon or working with tarot um or something else like what is it or who is it or how is it that you're communing with i just call it spirit <laughs> you know good old-fashioned spirit um, you know, my spirituality is more, you know, there's this, um, pagan Judaism and also the Kabbalah expresses the interpretation that spirit isn't everything, right? I mean, I know other, um, traditions also have a similar mm -hmm. belief, you know, it's in a pebble, it's in our dialogue right now. It's, in our bodies it's in the plant it's it's in anything living mm -hmm. um and that we can access that energetically anytime we would like uh for me it's generally a couple of different ways it's meditation um when i'm doing self-work it's usually tarot because the tarot cards will like definitely call me out and i feel like oh you know like uh so there there's that um 
tarot also is a container for my channel when I channel for the collective. The moon is 100% a channel when I'm just sort of channeling like the workbooks and things like that. Um, and like, met, you know, and also meditation and listening. And um, those are all of the ways that I access uh, this, this feeling. But like one thing I want to say too, I really want to debunk that one like intuition happens to you that you have to like be in this space where you have no anxiety and you have your singing bowl and you like have your herbal tea. Like I really want to debunk that because for me a very harmful, do you mind if I talk about a couple of harmful Please. beliefs I had to work through in my own? Yeah. Like I have, um, the first is like that my intuition has to come in in the way that everyone says it in quotes should like through visuals. Like I very rarely get visuals. Uh, you know, a lot of books will have the Claire's right. Um, mm -hmm. right. Uh, I won't get into them, but because my intuition comes through in different ways, I was sort of taught that they weren't like valid or it wasn't my intuition. It's the way we gaslight. Like if it's not the specific way, then it's not the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And my intuition shows up in weird ways, such as maybe it's because I'm a Gemini moon, but like sometimes I'll have to talk. Like I'll have mm -hmm. to just be alone and talk and I'll start receiving things. A lot of times in my client sessions, I'll have no idea what's gonna come through until I open my mouth. And then I'm like, oh, okay, hi, yeah, they're here. Um, so there's that. So the idea that, your intuition is bad or wrong because it's not super vibrant. Maybe your intuition is subtle. Maybe it's a subtle feeling that you have to feel into or follow or, you know, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's this state you have to be in to be intuitive or to access that, which is, in, in my opinion, it's incredibly ableist. Um, I'm saying this because I'm someone who lives with chronic illness and chronic pain. My pain is not a result of me hating myself. My pain is not a result of me thinking bad thoughts or like not being spiritual enough. My pain is because I have a very serious genetic mutation that might kill me. And my pain is because I've had many, many near-death car accidents that mm -hmm. I've gone to many, many like body workers and chiropractors. I have a slip disc and the only way that I can get rid of it is through surgery now you thank you for coming to my therapy session. But so I have my own pain that impacts my somatic experience. Mm -hmm. I am fatigued quite frequently. I quite frequently feel low energy. And that was a wall that I had to uh, dissolve in terms of my own client experiences because let's just say i have clients that have a month ago and i wake up and i'm in a, in excruciating pain there's this part of me this punitive part of me that's like you're not going to be a good space holder you're not going to be intuitive your guides aren't going to come through and and you're bad and you're wrong and part of my healing my literal healing experience with my intuition is accepting that I can be in pain. I can be in quotes, not good, right? Or like not well, like I am not goopified. I'm like not this, I'm not well, I'm not like feeling amazing. Mm -hmm. And I have messages and clarity 
And my guides still do want to come through, even if I have like a screaming pain in my shoulder or whatever, or I only got four hours of sleep because I was woken up by my pain or whatever. So I think that there's also this myth that you have to be healed or you have to like feel intuitive. And I want to debunk that as well. Like our intuition is part of us. It cannot be taken away. We can um, ignore it. We can uh, second guess ourselves and doubt ourselves, but there's no end to the forms and the ways in which we are intuitive and there's nothing stopping us. There's no, um, it's not a money thing. It's not a, class thing it's not an ableist thing it's it's not like there's there's no picture of healthy intuition we create a healthy intuition so much as we accept it love it receive it nurture it work with it trust it Hmm. thank you so much for that that was so beautifully said Wow. Well, (laughs) welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed listening to that episode, everybody. For more information on Sarah and her incredible work, please check out the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks and tag Embodied Astrology on any posts you make. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Embodied Astrology if you don't already. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. To support more content like this or to explore embodied astrology with me, please consider becoming a subscriber. Subscriptions are pay what you can, and they get you access to the Embodied Astrology Zodiacal Season workbooks and my twice-monthly workshops and discussion groups. I want to offer a deep and heartfelt thank you to all of the Embodied Astrology subscribers and to those of you who make one-time donations. Thank you so much. Your monthly subscriptions and donations make this podcast possible. I am wishing love and wellness to you and yours. Until next time, bye for now.